Welcome to the Spark Youth Podcast. Spark is the youth ministry of the Enfield and Strathfield Anglican Church. Our mission is to gather to hear God's word, to grow in Christ's likeness, and to go in prayerful proclamation. To find out more about us, you can go to our website at fields.org.au forward slash spark, or you can find us on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash youth underscore of underscore spark. Since the rise of social media and instant messaging, the phrase OMG has become really popular. MTV's top 20 music videos are now called the OMG Top 20. There's an entire radio station simply called OMG. OMG features regularly on TikTok. And get this, there's now an app collection of fashion dolls called OMG Outrageous Millennial Girls. But where did OMG come from? The phrase likely comes from the phrases, Oh God and My God, which were originally phrases used in prayers for help, forgiveness and gratitude towards God. This is about as far away as you can get from a line of fashion dolls or TikTok videos. But how could a phrase used with such reverence to God be used as a swear word or casual expression? Well, it comes largely with the decline of Christianity in the West. In Pew Research Center surveys conducted in 2019, the percentage of people describing themselves as Christian was 65%, down 12% from 12 years ago. Meanwhile, the percentage of people describing themselves as non-religious was up 17% from 10 years ago. And as Christianity has declined in the West, so is society's valuation of God. God is no longer respected as he once was. Think about it. If you don't believe in God, then we don't fear God's judgment against us for how we use our words. And yet Jesus says these haunting words in Matthew 12. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Why would Jesus say such strong words? Does it really matter how we speak about God? We come to see how serious our words are, especially our words about God, when we understand that God's name is his reputation. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 7 we read, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who has taken his name in vain. The first commandment warned us that we can't worship God, the wrong God. And the second commandment warned us against worshipping God in the wrong way. If we're honest though, while these ones make sense, the third commandment feels more like a reminder. How did watch your mouth make it to the top ten? What's the big deal about God's name? But if we think about the third commandment as a light offense, we're quite mistaken. In Leviticus 24, 16, we read, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. Granted, this is a civil law for the nation of Israel, but now he, and now we use church discipline, not capital punishment. But this verse clearly shows us how serious this sin is. But why is this commandment so serious? What's in a name? Well, more than we might think. To name somebody is to say something about them. All of us have names given to us by our parents. And just in case you're wondering, your parents didn't pick your name out of a hat. Parents understand that it's one of the most important things they do for their children. So they thought carefully about your name to give it meaning. Pip and I spent ages thinking about our kids' names. Both our kids Lydia and Hudson Nicholas Ridley Taylor are named after Christians that we hope might serve as encouraging examples for our kids. Most of the names in the Bible are full of meaning. Abraham means father of nations because his children would be many and be blessed through him. And Jesus means God saves and we see this exactly what God did through Jesus. Likewise, God's name is full of meaning. 
Did you know God's name has several meanings? For example, Elohim means God is a powerful creator. El Shaddai means God is mighty. But in the Old Testament, it is Yahweh, translated as the Lord, that is most often used. It means literally, I am who I am. It means God, the sovereign Lord, is free and does whatever he chooses to do. This is the name God gives to represent his special covenant relationship with his people Israel. In Exodus 33, Moses asks God to show him his glory. And in reply in chapter 34, God speaks his name Yahweh, the Lord, and with it his merciful, gracious, and loving character. In other words, the way to see God's glory is to hear his name. To know God's name is not merely to know something about God. It is to know God himself. And it's the same for us. Our name represents who we are. Over time, as people get to know us, our name expresses who we are to them. Think of someone who you love deeply, a parent, a friend, or a sibling. The name of that person represents more than markings on a page. When someone says the name Pip, I think of a flood of emotions, experiences, joys, and desires that come to me because I cannot separate my wife from her name. Names are precious, which is why we don't like our name being twisted or forgotten, mispronounced or made fun of. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. We love getting cool nicknames, but we hate it when someone gives us an embarrassing nickname. At high school, I received the nickname Stony in Year 7, and it stayed with me all throughout high school because when I rocked up at school the first day, after not much sleep, people thought I looked stone. And the sad thing was, in my first few days of high school, a lot of people, including teachers, in the last few years of high school, a lot of people, including teachers, thought it was my real name. So they referred to my name, uh, my mum, so they referred to my mum as Mrs. Stone, even though her name was Mrs. Taylor. It showed that they didn't really know me or my family. But funny nicknames given to us is one thing. Irreverent use of God's name is another. Everywhere in scripture, the name of the Lord is exalted in the highest possible terms. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, says Psalm 8 verse 1. The first line of the Lord's prayer is, hallowed be your name. We should not speak his name without expressing in some measure the reverence and awe that is due to his name. God's name is his reputation. To praise his name is to praise him. To speak poorly of his name is to speak poorly of him. We usually think of the commandment as a commandment about language, about what we must say or how we should say it. But the word translated to take up the name means to lift up, bear, or carry. So the commandment is not only about speaking God's name, but more broadly, bearing it. So how does that relate to us today? Well, Christians bear the name of Christ. The name Christian means a follower of Christ. The first reference to this is in Acts 11 verse 26, where we read the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. When someone trusts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, our old identity is gone and died. And now our new identity is wrapped up with Jesus and his life. We are no longer, first of all, brothers, sisters, children, gamers, sportsmen, gay, straight, or anything else. We are Christian first. This has many benefits. Knowing someone's name gives us an advantage in our dealings with them. You can call the president of America, but he's not going to answer the phone to you. But if you are his friend, you could ring him up and say you want to speak to him and you could have direct access to call on him anytime and ask whatever you wish. God is greater and more powerful than the president, and God's name is more cl most clearly found in Jesus Christ. As Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. In Philippians 2 verse 9 to 11, 
we read that Jesus died to save us and therefore God gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remarkably, the King of the universe grants us the ability to call him friend and to call upon his name whatever, whenever we want, with whatever request we might have. To know Jesus enables us to call him any time as our friend no less and to receive his protection and help. And so in Acts 4 verse 12, Peter says, there is, no sal- there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved. These facts underscore the greatness of the privilege we have in bearing Jesus' name. But it also carries with it a great responsibility. Jesus took our sin upon him because it was too heavy for us to bear. So we ought to count it a privilege to bear his name even when it's hard. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 16 says, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Polycarp was a Christian who was a friend of the Apostle John and was martyred or died for his faith in 168 AD. The Romans tried to get him to deny Jesus, but in response, Polycarp gave his famous reply. Eight and sixty years, eighty and sixty years have I now served Christ, and he has never done me the least wrong. How then can I blaspheme my King and Saviour? The judge loudly cried out, Polycarp has confessed himself to be a Christian, and the punishment was death. Polycarp knew both the privilege and the responsibility of bearing Jesus' name. Polycarp was faithful to the Lord unto death, his name, God's name, is his reputation. Jesus is the name of God par excellence. To praise God's name is to praise Jesus. To speak poorly of the name of God is to speak poorly of Jesus. And to seek salvation in his name is to receive salvation from God. Our words and lives either bring honour or dishonour to his name. God's people were to represent him to the nations. We see this in Deuteronomy 4 which says, Regarding God's law, do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is? Do you see it? Their obedience of God's law was meant to make his name and reputation great. However, instead of drawing the nations to praise God's name, in Ezekiel 36 we read that God's people had failed to obey God's law and had done wickedness so that God spoke so that people spoke poorly about God among the nations. So in verse 21, God says, But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. God announced to his people that he will act on their behalf for the sake of his holy name, that they would no longer profane his name among the nations. How is he going to act? In Ezekiel 36 verse 26, we read, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And did you see what the spirit has promised to do? To cause us to obey his rules. You've been saved to make God's name great and his name, that his name might be treated with the respect that it deserves. That's the reason, period. And the way we do that is by living lives of love and obedience to God's law. If you aren't living a life of obedience to God that shows how great God's name is, then I want to challenge you, are you really a Christian? Because that's what the Spirit does in those who trust Jesus. But if you don't yet trust Jesus, well, the way that we come to honor God, that the way that we come to bring fame and, and glory to His name is by trusting in the name of Jesus. There's no other name by which we might be saved.
Most importantly, as Christians, we sin every time we defame Jesus' name. So any sin is a violation of the third commandment. I remember inviting my Christian friend Ben to spend time with other friend, my other Christian friends. And he was so off-put by their gossip, he said that they gossiped and blasphemed worse than his non-Christian friends, and he didn't want anything to do with them or God as a result. Our identity is to be the people of God, and we take this with us wherever we go. We must act, think, feel, and speak in a way that's proper for those who are called by the holy name of God. As Colossians 3.17 puts it, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what does this look like to bring honour to the name of Jesus? The word vain can mean empty in Exodus 20.17. It can also mean nothing, mean worthless, or to no good purpose. We are forbidden, therefore, from taking the name of God in a manner that is for the wrong purposes. Firstly, that might be using God's name as a lie. Whenever we attach God's name to lies or half-truths, we break the third commandment. If we use the name of God to ascribe a false sense of authority to our ideas, plans, or opinions, we violate the third commandment. So we must be careful not to throw around phrases like, God told me to do this, or God wants me to do that, just because we feel strongly about something. As one Christian writer said, If private revelations agree with Scripture, they are needless, and if they disagree, they are false. The third commandment also forbids empty or false oaths. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. Again, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. let Let what you say simply be yes or no. But Jesus says that when we swear by anything at all, we are in effect swearing by God. And because God has created all things and remains in control over them, to swear by anything is to swear by Him. So we must not make false or empty promises or oaths or any that we do not intend to keep, but simply let our yes be yes and our no be known. Secondly, using God's name in a careless way is also how we can break the third commandment. We break God's name. Um, we break the third commandment when we use the Lord's name carelessly. In Matthew six seven, Jesus tells us to avoid empty phrases in our prayers. This applies, for example, when praying around the dinner table or before bed, like saying a quick prayer to to God for your food or for the day without really thinking about it. Like it's a hurdle we have to get through. If we can't get our minds and hearts in the right place, it's better not to pray over the meal or before bed or any other time at all. Likewise, a joking, light-hearted approach to the Lord's name isn't appropriate. Now, I like to laugh, but I fear many Christians, and myself sometimes, are far too casual in telling jokes that have God as the punchline. Would you make jokes about the Holocaust? I hope not. And we understand that some things are off-limits. Surely that's the case for God's name. And thirdly, we break the third commandment when we use God's name as blasphemy. The most obvious way is to, to say God or Jesus Christ as curse words. Now, you might be, not be deliberately cursing God, but it says something about our attitude towards God if we can speak His name so lightly and carelessly. Our Creator, our Savior, our Judge, and our King should not have His name tossed out as an expression of shock, outrage, or anger. It's like dragging God's name through the dirt. We may want to take precaution about saying "geez" because it's short for Jesus, or God, or gosh, or even oh my because they're shorthand for oh my God. 
I remember one of the most embarrassing moments I had was when I was at work as a personal trainer and I said, geez, but I accidentally ended up saying Jesus. And all my colleagues were in the room and they didn't say anything, but I knew it would have shocked them because I tried to be so different in how I spoke and acted the rest of the time. Now, we may draw the line at different places when it comes to certain words, but hopefully we all see the importance of protecting the honor of the Lord's name. There was a man who used to work on a ship as a slave trader. He mistreated slaves and sold them for profit. He was extremely rebellious and was so offensive in his language that he became known among sailors as the great blasphemer. And during a violent storm and after seeing a shipmate washed overboard, he asked for mercy from Jesus to save him. As a result, he went on to live a life marked by repentance in honoring the name of Jesus. He stopped using God's name in vain and stopped selling people as slaves, instead started telling people the good news about Jesus and started trying to abolish the slave trade. His name was John Newton and he wrote the most well-known Christian hymn, Amazing Grace, in which he wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now am found, was blind but now I see. So may we honor the name of Jesus in the same way in our lives and in our words this week.